Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Mooncast. Today I'm going to get Tom back on the phone again, which is great. I haven't had Tom on the on the uh, podcast for a while. We're going to be talking about mainly the upcoming Kickstarter, um, the Arising. Oh damn, I can't remember the name, that's annoying. Um, so I recorded the bit with Tom um, a couple of weeks ago. He wanted me to wait to release it until near the, near the Kickstarter. Um... I can't remember entirely what we talk about, but we'd mainly talk about Kickstarter, um, what's in it, uh, what people can expect, what we're, what we're both excited about, and a little bit about where Moonstone's, sort of the direction Moonstone's going in. Um, I won't keep you any longer on the intro, so let's get Tom on the phone. Ready when you are. Cool. Um, all right, Tom's with us now. Hey guys. Cool. Nice. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's lovely to have you back on again. It's been quite a while actually. I can't remember the last one you did. Um, Ages. Yeah, it feels like yeah. a long time. Lockdown has, has uh, hurt you and I a little bit because um, we we used to meet up quite often, and uh, it's obviously been a no go. Yeah, um, yeah, we yeah we used to, yeah. Well, I think it's put um, yeah, it's, it's put a lot of strain on my Moonstone playing, unfortunately, because it's a game that you can't really. Um, well, because I do those of those people who do watch the YouTube channel know that I've played like some solo games of like forty k and things, but you can't play Moonstone solo. <laughs> no, it really of all the tabletop games, it doesn't lend itself overly to it because there's so much secret information in the cards yeah. of hands that um, I imagine if you did try and play it solo, you'd you would definitely end up cheating. Yeah, I did I did play a game of 40K recently with Jack over Zoom, where he had Zoom on the board and we played it like that. And I, it made me think, I wonder if I could do this with Moonstone, like, like hold up the cards to him, not look. But then I, then I thought, actually, we're only about a month away from being able to get into people's homes again anyway, and he can just go and play in my house. Yeah, I mean, it's all been going on on Tabletop Simulator, though. You have yeah, been missing out. There's yeah, I know. I do feel like I'm missing out. I don't. I basically don't have a computer to play it on, which is annoying because I'm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have. It, I don't own my own laptop. Um, it's only, it's, it's only been an absolute godsend, to be honest. Paolo, um, who's on the Discord and the Facebook, has has done a really, really good job on our um, on a on a new mod because there was a few quirky things about like just moving models around that was quite hard before and it's all made so much easier now when you move a model it tells you exactly how far they're moving in an inches. yeah i've seen it working I, I i joined one of the demos that um him and chris did um about a month ago now i think and i just sat in he does it on zoom as well and i just sat in on the zoom meeting basically and chipped in every now and then with unhelpful advice <laughs> they they're quite funny those guys. It's a, it's a real fun. It's a real fun. I've played a few games with Chris, and I like it. It's quite it. salty. Um, but um, yeah, so it's quite good to see it being played. It's an inter it's interesting. I think it does work about as best as it possibly could. I think I love. I do love the cannons. <laughs> they're so cool, aren't they? That's a genius idea. Um, I I'd just sit there and fire cannons for for like ten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, they are brilliant when, when he first showed them to me I didn't have a clue what they were and then when I used them I just thought what an ingenious solution yeah. to something again it was something people were struggling with uh, with the first edition of the mod the first edition was great but um, 
you know, the physics just didn't lend itself particularly well to doing the moonstone scatter and everybody had their own little hacks, putting the little uh, fireplace right in the middle of the board to bounce the dice around and stuff. But the cannons are not only very effective at getting a, a really inspired, but they're just amazing to do as well. Yeah. yeah. So for the sake of the listeners, if um, I believe at the moment uh, the Dicing with Life guys are doing uh, tabletop simulator um, sessions uh, available to look on Wednesday nights. Yeah. So they will do demos if, you've, if for people that have never played before, or people that are already experienced that want to, uh, you know, play competitive games. They can do that as well. They're, they're getting really busy at the moment, which is great. Yeah. What's really good is if you if you want to, because when I did it with them and I sat in on in on it with them. What was nice is there was like two guys playing a demo and then four people watching and learning by watching these two yeah. the demos. So even if you're not sort of, if you're not sure you want to actually get on there and play, you can just literally observe other people playing and, and see how the game works from there. Um, but yeah, no, it, was, it was fun when we did it. Um, I'm trying to think, I, I, did, I did try and help both players because they kept asking me for advice. I think they, they learned quite quickly that I kind of, Fairly experienced players, and I was going to say, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> kind of thing. Like, oh, why? Because if you do that, and he can do this, and then that, and then they're like, oh, okay, God. <laughs> um, I remember when we were doing demos at some of the conventions, helping out some of the uh, some of the attendees, and um, sometimes as the helper, you can actually really help sell a bluff because you can point yeah. at their hand and go, oh, that's a really good card. You should definitely play that one and just yeah. point at like a, a, a one green or something like that. You <laughs> say, definitely play the green three. And then when they put it down, you've sold the bluff for them. So sometimes you can be really handy as a helper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've got to, I really hope we can do conventions again soon. I probably, I love demoing it to people. Um, don't, don't think I've had, I don't think I've had a bad experience demoing Moonstone to anyone. Um, not everyone's bought. No. Not everyone's bought it, but everyone's enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's definitely a game that makes people laugh. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, I I always love demoing it to like two friends, or even better would be like husband and wife were always hilarious to demo with, because I'd always support I'd always support the wife and get her to do really well and beat him. <laughs> oh always... no, it can get a bit vicious sometimes with uh, with couples. I've discovered. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to pick a side unless you get dragged into it. Well, I, I, well, okay, to be fair, I, I'd play with the underdog, whoever one, whichever one seemed like they didn't, they weren't quite sure what they were doing. I'd help them. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's already a one tangent we've gone off on. <laughs> um, so that's that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a great start. <laughs> we're about five minutes in, and we haven't even started the main topic yet. Um, that's great. That's that's what this podcast is all about. Starting a topic and not talking about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, let's, I'll, let you, I'll let you start off the next section, which we'll talk about the Kickstarter, which is the, the main thing we're going to talk about in this podcast. And there's lots of other things I've got listed, but they're all part of that Kickstarter. Um, so I'll let you, I know you've done like a video on this before and then people will have seen it hopefully, but do you want to do a quick introduction for anyone who hasn't seen that, that um, the video? Um, sure. So I apologise for the background noise, by the way. It's my uh, son's bath time. So if you hear uh, crying in the background, I'm not torturing him. I promise. Yeah, it's the same here at mine. My children are just being put to bed at the same time. So there could well be background children noises for both of us. But anyway, off you go. So I guess um, 
I guess you're talking about the video that I released during the PatmaCon weekend. So it was just a summary of the upcoming activity that, that we're working on this year. But the main kind of headline event is that we're uh, going to be coming to Kickstarter again. Um, so uh, the provisional date is the 5th of June, but um, uh, at the time of recording, we're, we're you know, we're kind of 90% locked in. So probably the best thing to do if you're listening to this is uh, if you go to the Moonstone website, um, which is www.moonstonethegame.com, uh, there's a, an item along the top called The Arising, which is a web page with some details all about the site, all about the uh, Kickstarter. So there's an overview of it. And there's a, a sign up for email updates. So if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on the um, on the go live date, then that might be worth doing. But um, basically, it's uh, it's a new book. It's an expansion. Uh, it's not a second edition because a lot of people always seem to think uh, a new book is a second edition. But don't worry if you've got our book one, it's not becoming obsolete. It's all the rules are staying exactly the same. This new book has got some. Um, expansions on the rules in terms of clarifying some of the nitty-gritty things that can happen some of the obscure in, um, interactions with terrain for example um, and uh, it's like some of the nitty-gritty of, of kind of the complex interactions that might happen in rare situations in melee and what happens if you run out of cards and things like that but the core rules aren't changing at all um, what is coming along that's brand new is a campaign system though so that's something that has been asked for uh, quite a few times um, by quite a lot of people. And I know a lot of people really enjoy campaign systems and I've really enjoyed playing campaigns for other games in the past. And I've really enjoyed play testing the campaign for Moonstone. Um, I've been at it for about two years now. <laughs> and I think it's been through about six dramatically different iterations. I think you played one of the early ones. I think I've played about two, yeah. I think I've played, or I've been involved sort of in commenting on playtesting about three different versions, but not nothing in the last sort of year because of, because of, because of COVID. So yeah, so it's been through some it, new iterations it, then. Yeah. You know what? It's taken me longer to write the campaign rules than it took me to write the, the rules of the game by quite some way. It's actually quite tricky to write campaign rules or good campaign rules. I first worked on a campaign system when I, um, when I guess like 15 years ago or something like that, um, I used to play Blood Bowl. I still like Blood Bowl. I still think it's a really good game actually. Um, and I ended up getting really into the community and running a camp, uh, a league in Bristol. And I wasn't very happy with the way the Blood Bowl uh, leagues worked because like all games workshop games of that era and, and a lot of campaign games of you know a lot of campaign systems in modern games they reward players that are already doing really well like if you were already winning your games you got more gold and more upgrades and if you were already winning your games that's probably because you were either the best player or you were running the most optimized list or team or you know whatever the most overpowered thing was and so it's great fun seeing your team or your squad or whatever game you're playing develop and improve but if the player who's already winning all their games is, is getting further and further ahead, then all these campaign systems of old tear themselves apart, basically, because players 
who aren't doing so well in the campaign turn up at their game night knowing that they've got absolutely no chance of winning. Not only are they playing a player that's more experienced than them, that experienced player has now got you know, all these bonuses that they don't have and so they lose interest and they drop out. And campaigns of yesteryear like that just it started yeah. off with all this enthusiasm and then they would you know, quietly die, I guess, within about you know, a couple of months at the most. So I was working um, online with a group of other playtesters on the what was then called the Perpetual Blood Bowl League rules. So the idea was to create rules for a Blood Bowl League that people could play forever, that wouldn't cop out and, and die due to this um, sort of stretching that you get through normal campaign mechanics. And I wasn't a lead in that by any sense. I was I was a, just one of one of a, a large number of playtesters. Um, but it was kind of my first experience, I guess, of this particular challenge of making campaign rules which don't cause players to feel that their games are pre-decided when they go into them. That's kind of the last thing you want. And that was tackled ultimately with um, an inducement system where you still got you know what you still got advantages for winning your games you still got more gold your character still got better but at the start of every game there was uh, a system where the underdog could spend kind of fake gold to buy extra star players and upgrades so that they would go into the game close as possible to equal um which you know i i really enjoyed being involved in working on that um and then my next kind of experience was when I was helping Richie with his game First Law Override, which you might remember. Um, now that was built as a campaign game from the ground up and I was kind of very aware of all these problems. So that, uh, again, allowed you to progress your, your um, squad of um, futuristic characters um, and your notoriety would get higher and higher which was kind of the in-game currency for that game but at the start of each game um you would choose a value um that you were going to play the game to so I've, I've kind of had two prior experiences of um trying to make campaign systems where you are entering each game basically on a level footing and i knew i wanted to have that exact same approach for moonstone but there's an added challenge with Moonstone is that it doesn't have a particularly granular point system, you know, that you can that you can hook into for, for little incremental boosts and bonuses. So, you know, this is my third time effectively working on a, a campaign system and each of them I've gone a, a different route, but with that same kind of objective in mind of, of approaching each game, um, you know, on, on an equal footing. But you still want to feel that you're... That, you know that your troop is progressing you know there's no point playing a campaign if you're playing exactly the same um group of people each time so um you know it took a, it took a while did a lot of different versions the campaign system for moonstone now you do get a new character of your troop at the end of each game and we've got upgrade cards so everybody's able to improve the abilities of their characters and there's a lot of strategizing in um, you know, which character do you add? And you're looking at the schedule of who you're going to play and trying to pick characters that can be best against them and picking upgrades that unlock particular new combos and things that you wouldn't normally get access to in a, 
standard friendly game or um, or uh, or tournament game. So there's a whole load of strategy uh, in it, but you're still ultimately progressing at the same rate as the other players in the campaign. But what we do have is a uh, kind of a meta game that you play outside of your game night, which is quite unique. This is the bit which I think um, makes Moonstone campaigns really interesting. You, um, when you're not playing your game night, when, when you're playing a, a Moonstone campaign, you are um, a wizard, basically, uh, in the Tower of Grommel. You and all the other players are, are scheming evil, nefarious wizards, all trying to backstab one another. And when you're uh, not actually at game night playing your game, you, you're all able to um, basically play plots and schemes on one another. So you're chatting on like a chat app, like WhatsApp, like saying, if you, if you support me, I'll support you. And let's, like, let's both sabotage this other player because they're doing really well. And what I've effectively done is adapted what was kind of trialed as the events and agenda cards, um, just kind of as a little stub, really. They, they weren't fully fleshed out, I don't think, the ones that came in the card deck. But taken those, that, that kind of principle of being able to play cards, but you're trying to get the other players in the campaign to support you. If other players in the campaign support you, you get more cards in your games. If you support another player in the campaign and they win their game, you get a bit of a kickback. You get extra bonus points. Um, but the better a player is doing in the campaign, the less points you get for supporting them and the more points you get for sabotaging them. Whereas a player that's doing badly in the campaign, you get a lot more points for supporting them if they win their game and you, you get, um, you know, and you, you get punished if you sabotage them and, and and they go on to win so there's kind of like a betting like a game on a game outside the game kind of a betting game that encourages you to give bonuses to players that are currently doing left point time in the campaign so that not only are the games not only you go into the game on equal footing, if you're currently doing less well in the campaign, there's a strong chance, not guaranteed, because there's a lot of politics involved, but there's a strong chance you'll go into the game actually with an advantage. Yeah. And that keeps the campaigns really tight and close and exciting and interesting until the last minute. In fact, Joe, who many people know that Joe Parsons is the head playtester of Moonstone, and he's the way his brain works, I... I I find it absolutely astonishing. He's just he's just on another level of spotting like incredible combos and potentials. He always is the first one to take a character that everyone else thinks is underpowered and just make them massively overperform. And he's phenomenal in campaigns. And he he lurked kind of right at the bottom of the campaign, working all his little schemes and plots and tricks and machinations to compact everyone down so that everyone's points was was all really really close and he was just behind everyone so that he was getting everybody's support and they just absolutely blasted through at the last minute and and 
you know, won the campaign. So, so right down to the very last game night, everybody's like crowding around, like in virtual table, but crowding around the table going, what is he, you know, and the, this guy just rips past, like executing this plan that he's had like quietly brewing the whole campaign. Whereas someone like me, I'm just not smart enough. You know, I want to win all my games. So I'm trying to, you know, play all the best cards and winning every game for the first few games, thinking I'm doing really well, but I'm actually being massively outsmarted by someone much cleverer than me who's sort of lurking. Yeah. So that's the that's sounds it. Like that sounds like Joe. Yeah, well, yeah I lost, those that know that's him. Why I lost him at a tournament because <laughs> he's too good. Yeah, I I lose to him a lot to be honest, but um, he he's, he does a fantastic job in the background of balancing all the cards out and yeah, spotting like, problems way spotting problems that I would never spot to be honest and and pointing them out to me before cards go to print. So I think one of the reasons that Moonstone is regarded as a well-balanced game should kind of, you know, he should take quite a bit of credit for that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, particularly for the newer the newer stuff that he's been very heavily involved in. Um yeah, well that sounds that sounds brilliant. I, I hadn't I hadn't heard about that iteration of the campaign. So that sounds I love the idea of basically you get rewarded for supporting the underdog, um, essentially. And sort of that, that sounds fantastic. That sounds really good. Um, cool. that, yeah, I'm like it's got a really good um, sort of lasting potential. So when you're playing the campaign, do you set out a timetable of, you have, you have to set out a specific timetable of who's playing who and when? And You do, yeah, you do. So, so I, you basically have a, um, uh, a chamberlain, a wizard chamberlain, you know, a league commission, you know, the, the person who's in charge and they create a schedule at the start of the campaign where, you know, you you kind of try and it depends on the size of your play group and how long people want to play for, but kind of the rough idea might be that you create a schedule where each player um, plays each other player one time. And um, we, you know, it's not ready for release yet, but we have got a, an app being developed that does a lot of the management of the campaign stuff for you, including automatically generating um, schedules, um, which you know is hopefully will be released around the time that, um, that the book comes out and people get it in their hands. But the rules will work perfectly well done manually. You know, there's plenty of schedule generators online, or you can work it out with a, a piece of paper. But we do also have an app that does it all for you. So. Um, and you can basically decide everybody's going to play twice, everybody's going to play once. Um, you know, it can support uh, odd numbers of players, either by having one player having a buy each week or by making one uh, game each week be a three-player game. So, um, yeah, there's lots of options around that. But the idea is that you would try and arrange a regular a lot of people would do like a, a weekly game night. It doesn't have to be, but you try and arrange a, a regular night with your um, campaign buddies and ideally all in the same place. Although obviously COVID and lockdown has meant that we've had to get inventive with that and um, yeah. play remotely and stuff like that. But uh, ideally everybody gets together one, you know, once a week or once a fortnight, whatever works for them. And um, yeah. maybe plays for six weeks or, Something like that. Everyone in the in that campaign is is every game always, for want of a better word, putting it standard Moonstone game. Obviously, you've got the different yes. things, but it's all it's always a standard Moonstone drop and the standard, standard layer. 
it's a standard Moonstone game because that's what the game is really balanced around. The story scenarios are, are great fun, but they are not designed for kind of the kind of the, the more competitive play. However, the um, campaign cards do some of them do introduce objectives. Right. So um, you might you might although you're playing a standard Moonstone game, you might have a secret card, and, which means if you reach this particular objective, even though you've got less Moonstones, it still counts as a win for you. So yeah. there's a little bit more variety in that way. Yeah. I remember that even from the earlier the earlier iterations of the campaign, we had objectives to to try and reach as well as getting Moonstones. Um, yeah, and they've been through quite a few iterations. Um, yeah, now when we first started, there was there was. Yeah, definitely teething problems with them, but um, I'm excited to see how, how they go. I think to get a few more people to play it at my house. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that sounds really good. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun and a really um, a really interesting addition. Because I mean, like, but for, for, for me, like, pretty much all of my Moonstone games are basically me and Jack. But I would like to start. Um, I've done the demo days and things. I've also done conventions with you, but. Um, It'd be really fun to try and get like a weekly moonstone. I reckon. Well, I think once COVID decides to bugger off, um, I, I think I could probably get a regular two-week moonstone slot at my local gaming centre. Um, that's the games table. Um, I can get. Yeah, the games table's great, isn't it? Got a new venue now. Really well. nice. Got a new venue. Looks like it's, it's like it's like ten. It's like seven or eight times the size. Um, oh wow! And is and is amazing. And it's um, sorry. This this is even more of a tangent. But um, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, he, Kieran who who runs it is still a, is still a, still the same. Really, really nice bloke with lovely setup. It's really well decorated and really well laid out with a great like air conditioning that's lovely and all that kind of stuff. But um, what's what some really nice tweaks? And this is such a kind of it, it really um, reflects what he's like as a person. Is he's linked up with all the local restaurants. And what you can do is you can order food from the restaurant down the road and they'll deliver it to you at your table. That's amazing. Like he, he's just below a Mexican restaurant and they will literally come down the stairs and deliver it to your table for you. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. And I, he arranged painting nights as well, didn't he? If I was yeah. local, I'd love to go yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so he has regular stuff. He does like painting. He's, he's even done those over Zoom while it's been closed. So no, no financial benefit to him at all, but just keeping the community going. And it's a really nice community asset. Um, cool. Okay. Well, I won't talk any more about that. What I was talking about, but um, so that's the a big part of the new book. That's where we started that part of the conversation. Um, do you want to quickly uh, go over the other bits of the book, and then we can pick apart any bits that we want to pick apart, as it were? Yeah, I think I we think um, there's yeah. There's so I think. The exact number of scenarios, there's, there's definitely going to be nine. It could be 12. Um, trying to, you know, the, uh, the book is almost entirely written, but it's going through an editing process at the moment. And um, there's a few, there's kind of the three, uh, the three sets of three that you know about already because yeah. you've provided a lot of the content for them, um, which, which are definites. And then there's a few uh, there's a few potential bonus scenarios that may go in or may not depending on page counts. If they don't go into the book, they'll get released ultimately as PDFs. You know, um, you know, so the, the effort that's gone into them won't be wasted. But um, uh, like we did in, you know, I'm I'm telling you, but you know this very well. 
in book in the first book um we created story scenarios that were kind of a little bit of narrative um and then you play out the game uh and then you uh, go on to the next page and there's the next part of the story you play out the game and then the final part of the story and you play out the game to kind of see what happens in this this kind of narrative encounter um and that format i think worked quite well uh, in the first book um it's kind of a way of weaving your games and the storyline of moonstone in into one experience um so we've done that again um I'm, you know speaking more to the listener here because i know you know this inside out because yes. you created i think a good chunk of the scenarios to probably yeah i think i probably created about seven of them i mean obviously with your help and, and we did it together and you tweaked and did things that I, I came up with the with the sort of the idea for about seven of them i think i think i came up with the because basically there's there's three there's three sets of three because we love sticking to our rule of three for things um so there's three fairy-based scenario, or fairy, fairies versus rogues, basically, or fairies and rogues, and that's the kind of um, one set of scenarios. Fairy civil war. Yeah, basically a bit of a fairy civil war, but also what I remember when I was first coming up with these scenarios, is I wanted to make sure that it showed off the new the new models, but also the new ways of building troops, because in the very first lot of scenarios and the very first lot of Moonstone models, it was very much you played gnomes, or you played humans, or you played fairies, or you played goblins. It was very much by race. And I really wanted those scenarios to show off that you don't need to do that anymore. Um, yeah. So in, in the fairy one, yes, there's it's, there's this big fairy thing. It's all about, and Dan is a big central part of it. But you play rogues at one point, which doesn't have all fairies in it. And then at one point you're playing, I mean, these, these are with the recommended troops that come with a scenario, with one of the scenarios, which is the one which, which has got Diana enraged in, which we'll get to in a moment. That's Diana and a lot of giants. Um, so very different again. And the same with the, um, there's a set of three scenarios that are basically pirate-based scenarios. Um, and I wanted to incorporate all six of the new pirate models in that, which is three goblins and three humans. So it's a complete deviation from that traditional Moonstone model of race. In that, there's that, by the way, is one of the most fun scenarios ever. Uh, this this is the one on the which one? The one, one on, the, on the ship. One on the ship. That that's I think that's, awesome. my proud, that's one I'm most proud of. I think. Yeah, I'm still determined at some point because I've, I've I've cut out a, a one foot by two foot piece of MDF, and I'm I've still got it in the in the back of my mind to build a ship. <laughs> So for the sake of the listeners who might not know, well, they won't know this because nobody nobody will have seen it yet when this podcast comes out, Dan wrote a scenario uh, of a pirate mutiny. So the goblin pirates and the human pirates are on board a ship um, and they're did, fighting over moonstones. I, I, um, I did record one video of this. I'll oh, okay. okay. Day. Yeah, go on, go on anyway. Sorry, I thought to interrupt, but yeah, go on. But you... Um, it, it, one of the great things about it is um, it's over pretty quick, isn't it? You yeah. can probably get a game of Mario done in about 20 minutes because yeah. it's, it's a bloodbath because they're starting pretty much, you know, inches away from one another. But you spin a bottle. I do recommend a bottle of rum, but, you know, spin what you have. <laughs> and um, and uh, the, the, all of the models kind of scatter in a random direction. And if they yeah. go off the edge of the board, they fall overboard. So you're kind of trying to cling to terrain. Like if you've got right. barrels and 
you want to make yeah. sure that you're using them defensively so that you don't fall off the ship and trying to push people away from barrels and push people towards the edge of the boat so that they get swept yeah. overboard it's, and it, it's over pretty quickly but it's yeah, hilarious I remember, I remember when i play tested it the first time i played it i played three games of it because <laughs> it and after like an hour um and and yeah it's one of the fuck because the way that the game starts is you basically you kind of scatter moonstones and you kind of place moonstones randomly on this it's only on a one foot by two foot board so they're really close together and you put like barrels and boxes or you could put like a mast on it like a ship and then the models are all placed where those moonstones are and they're all in possession of one moonstone each and then the first turn is the humans have, have decided to mutiny against the goblin uh, yeah. uh, uh, El Capitano. Yeah. So literally, they're like next to each other. And I remember I, when I played it, like first thing is Swash went up and just murdered someone straight away. Like term activation just killed one of the goblins. And it's just like, oh man. And then and then he scattered off the board. Because <laughs> yeah. I hadn't placed him right. And I rolled the, I rolled the, spun the bottle and he just fell off the side of the ship. <laughs> um, but it, it, is, it is a lot of fun. It's one of my most, yeah, I'm, I'm probably the, the scenario out of all the ones that I, I did, that I was most proud of just because out of all the ones, because I play, I've played most. I think I've played all the ones that I wrote at least once, and it's the one I laughed the most playing. Um, yeah, it is really good. I've played that on quite a few times. Yeah. At the end of the night, you know, if you're if you're um, doing a campaign night and your game finishes early and you're waiting for the other players to finish, it's really good to slip in that game at the end. Yeah, it's really quick to set up and everything as well. It's really quick to play because you don't have to. You, you need hard well, terrain. It's a really small board. Um, one of the guys at my um, club has actually got a pirate ship as well, a modelled one. So uh, I have to go around to his and play on that board soon. Lovely stuff. Sorry, you can probably hear the boilers just fired up in the background. So apologise for that, everyone. Oh, it's, it yeah. can't possibly be as loud as my boy earlier on in the record. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Um, yeah, so, uh, so there's the fairy scenarios, which is basically the kind of background story behind those three is that... Um, there's this, it's called the first, uh, the first moonstone, which is basically the idea is that there's this, this moonstone's bigger than any other moonstone, it's the first moonstone ever discovered, and it's hidden in this special sacred fairy place, and Diana's trying to rescue it. And these fawns try and nick it, but the fairies manage to get it safely out. But actually, what it is, is it's the rogues' guild who have actually betrayed Diana and they flee with it. And it's all Come about on, spoilers, them. don't give it all away. That's, 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 that's only the first scenario. So basically, yeah. Diana trying to get it back. Um, that's that's literally the introduction to the first game. So that's that's, that's, that's all I'm there's, there's a hell of a lot of uh surprises left for people when they read the book. So don't worry, yeah. I'm just joking. yeah, yeah. And then there's the pirate ones, which are fun. So that's um. The pirates steal some treasure and then they flee with some treasure and then there's a mutiny on a ship so that's all fun all kind of very the one thing i like the thing i like about all three of the pirate scenarios it's got they've got a very piratey feel <laughs> if you know yeah. I mean. it feels yeah, like trying to dig up treasure in one of them aren't they and they know it's buried under a tree but they don't know which tree yeah and, they're, um... <laughs> and, and, and then they're fleeing the law in another one yeah um because because um you know that we try and pit the kind of antagonist troop against a variety of other troops typically or they're a bit mixed up but um in the uh, pirate one uh they are facing the commonwealth um soldiers in one of the belts and they're fighting gnomes in one of the other ones in the forest and then they're fighting themselves in the last yeah, one. typically even more 
they, they, they fought some rich people, then they fled from the law, and then they fought themselves over their spoils. Yeah. Um, very piratey. And then in the, in the last set, and I'm pleased, one thing I'm pleased about in the last set is that the last, the last three are like Letterbox scenarios, and they're very kind of magic-y and mystical kind of feeling to them. There's a real feel to those three sets of scenarios that they really follow the narrative of those, like I said, the antagonist really groups. Um, I think it's in the first, um, the first Leshevot one, basically Brother Daniel and Kavanaugh and, and um, Lubard and Callister are trying to recruit a load of more townspeople. And I mean, I, I like it because I wrote the, the narrative for it, which is funny because it's about me. <laughs> um, Brother Daniel's just being all mental in, in, in this town square, trying to get everyone to join him. Um, and then the witches get involved. And it all starts I've got artwork for the townspeople now. You got the artwork for the townspeople. I've got artwork for the townspeople, yeah. So when this is released, people will be able to download paper standees of uh, sort of moonstone inhabitants that sort of wander around, sort of semi semi on an AI basis, kind of randomly. Um, and uh, the Lashavolt faction are trying to convert them, and then they get a bit more control over them. You've gone on to mute for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm muting myself while you're talking so that you don't get the boiler in. Um, Got it, yeah. So finishing off really that uh, the scenario stuff is we'll we'll talk about the, um, which I'm also really pleased about, is the new Diana, the alternative sculpt for Diana. Um, I guess I'm pleased with it because I came up with the idea for the, for the, for the card and the scenario. But um, I, really, I, really like the, I really, really like the model as well i'm really excited i mean anyone who's heard these podcasts before or has ever ever met me knows that diana is probably my favorite character in moonstone um and one of my favorite models and one of my favorite characters to play with so um yeah i selfishly put her in the center of three scenarios that i wrote <laughs> the, the model is absolutely epic and um it's it's huge um, because the, she's on a decorative base, which is this big swirling vortex of power. And if you put the Diana model next to something like Boulder, she's she's looking down on Boulder. Like it's it's a it's you know it. She is tiny, um, but with all the lightning and the swirling wind around her, it's a really imposing model. And I think that's kind of cool and fitting for for Diana, you know, because she's such a centerpiece of the fairies. But I wanted to make sure that the model would fit on a 30 mil base so that you can use it as an alternate to just the regular Diana. Um, if you just want a really badass, amazing model for your Diana and your fairy troop. So I felt like she was possibly being a little, you know, because she's a she's an amazing model, but she perhaps didn't like stand out and above the other fairies. Uh, whereas with this limited edition alternate sculpt, she will. Um, like you will not mistake that she is the boss, definitely. Yeah, she's a really nice model. Yeah, and it's quite a challenge getting um, all of our fairies are, are design challenges because I really want them to be as frail and dainty and you know fragile looking as possible, but they need to work as miniatures as well that you can glue together and that aren't going to break on the tabletop. So um, she was, you know very much a challenge in that regard because she's suspended up in the air on lightning bolts you know uh, surrounded by like a big swirl of wind and um but the you know the sculptor did an amazing job of um getting everything just right so it's actually only 
made of four pieces um you might look at them uh, look at the renders and go oh my god how are you going to stick that together actually it's really easy the lightning comes sorry the the swirl of wind comes apart in two halves of a cup uh the whole of the diana uh body including you know her head her hair her arms her legs all of the lightning is all one piece and you just have to glue her wings onto the back and there's a massive greatly contact point so it's actually a dead easy model to assemble um but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. We did um, a model Drunk Fritz uh, as a limited edition model in the past. And he was based off uh, one of the scenarios in the first book, Go Home You Drunk. And he had a special card uh, in that scenario. So I feel like yeah. I feel like this is continuing the set quite nicely. Yeah. Taking like an already cool character, turning them up to 11 and giving them like an extra badass card that you can use yeah. in a special scenario, or you can just use as this like a cooler version of the normal model in your normal games if you want. I remember we I remember we we came up with that model the first time you came to my house. And it was when I did my first tournament at the games table and you came and stayed with me and we played a game in the evening and we were drinking. <laughs> it's like the beginning of most meeting yeah. <laughs> I remember we, we came up with the ideas that, for that model I remember basically the two parts of that model that make it stand out is that he looks like he's falling over which was your idea and I said I think he should be wearing Agatha's hat <laughs> um, and we yeah, came up with that you're talking about the drunk fritz yeah, drunk fritz, yeah. yeah. but yeah, the, no, I absolutely love that model yeah, no, he's really, he's really nice model. He's really fun. Um, but the Diana model, like, I'm really pleased with how she came out. And like I said, the sculptor's done an amazing job of her and everything. Um, and I think that she'll get, I think you'll see her a lot just on the table as Diana because she's so imposing and so cool. Um, but I also, I also like what she plays as in that scenario. So, and that's in the last scenario. And I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to spoil it too much. But basically in that last scenario, she's called Diana Enraged. So basically the idea is that she's absolutely freaking furious at what's happened. And she's just unleashing all her power against essentially the rogues who have nicked this stone off her and betrayed her. Um, and her card, her card is dialed up to 15, not just 11. Yeah, uh, it is. You know, she, she's intentionally massively overpowered. And the idea is it's going to, because in that scenario, the rogues probably aren't going to win. <laughs> um, but the point is that they, <laughs> the, the point is that they probably shouldn't because Diana, 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 the full fury of her power is going to kill anything. And that's, that was kind of the whole point. So she can, I haven't actually got the card in front of me, but she can, Basically, drain and drain energy and stuff from her nearby fellow. Yeah. Basically, why it's pretty playing with giants. The whole point is that she doesn't literally doesn't give a toss about the giants that she's with. She's just using them to drain drain their life energy and and create bigger, more powerful spells. And her spells are brutal. She's got more a lot more health. I think she's got like eight health. Um, yeah, she's got seven health and five energy, so one extra health and energy. But at the start of every uh, turn for every model within three inches um, she makes them suffer a wound and she regains a wound and an energy for each one that she does it to yeah. so she, she just nestles herself around giants she's going to start every turn with like eight energy and fully restored wounds and, yeah. and then she's got some super powerful spells and yeah it's, it's horrific yeah and really her signature is like and it 
an explosion. She plays on the Medusa thing as well because she's got like this snake-like hair yeah. and she um, petrifies people. So she freezes them in spot as well as damaging them. She's, yeah. she's yeah, that, that card is, uh, yeah, that's worth at least three Moonstone characters, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You were trying yeah. to balance yeah. that. <laughs> well, one thing I think would be fun though is you, is you create things like that and people could use that to then create their own scenarios. Like, well, I'm going to have Diana enraged and we'll see who she can beat. Let's 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 put yeah. her against these three. And can she beat these three? I mean, because like you say, like she benefits from being the others. So you might say, well, like I'm going to have Diana and two others, and you can have a full troop of six. What troop of six can you build that can beat Di Diana in Rage? Kind of thing with with a couple of friends. Um, yeah. Because I because I've seen people use drunk Fritz just in normal Moonstone games. Um, I think it's a bit weird because you can't I think a few people. I think a few people. Uh didn't realize that the drunk fritz card was supposed to be just used in the go home your drunk yeah. scenario because yeah. drunk fritz wasn't dialed up as much as diana enraged is drunk fritz is more powerful than regular fritz but maybe only one and a half times as powerful whereas yeah. diana enraged is probably like three times as powerful as regular diana yeah, so yeah. um i don't really know how we I don't really know how how you can beat her in that scenario, to be quite honest. But like I said, that's kind of the point. And that's I, well, I mean, I say that I bet Joe could beat me. <laughs> Probably Joe would use uh, Gwendolyn to lure all the giants away so that Diana's left on her own. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, he'd find a way somehow. Yeah, he would find a way. He would find a way. Um, but yeah, that, that that model and that I'm I'm excited about the scenario set. I think it's, obviously I had a big ha I had a big big hand in that section of the book. So. Um, excited about that, but um, so that's the campaign and the scenarios, and obviously there's going to be a load of new narrative about the sort of the story of Moonstone, which I'm not. We're not going to go into now because I'm going to do a separate podcast with with the writer for that, um, and we'll talk about that in a separate one. Yeah, I, th I think you should. I think you should do it justice and do it do its own podcast on it. But the one thing I'd say is there is a lot of narrative and it's it's really really good quality and and I think by intention in the first book the narrative wasn't so much a story with a start middle and an end it was just a collection of little tales about this whimsical world of Moonstone and that was the intention you know just set the scene of the world whereas in this book the narrative is really starting to roll there's a lot of um deliberately unanswered questions in the first book like what are the moonstones and why are they important for one yeah. you know it's not answered in the first book that was deliberate we wanted to sow some mystery and you know leave that idea percolating in people's minds for you know quite a long time so that the so that the reveal is all the more powerful when when you when you finally read it so um yeah another really really exciting part of this book I think narrative is always the last part of a war game to be appreciated. People are drawn in by the aesthetics originally, and then if they like the aesthetics, then they try the game, and if they like the rules, then they read the narrative. So um, it's this, it's kind of the, the delayed gratification, I suppose. You know, I've, I've had ideas um, for where I want the narrative to go, uh, which Susie's done like such an amazing job of, of making 10 times better than, than my rubbish briefs but you know I've had these ideas in mind for years now and kind of to finally 
be able to do some mic drop moments in the narrative is is going to be really cool when people finally get their hands on the book. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I, mean, I know a bit about it, obviously, but not, I don't know, I haven't been involved in it as recently, so I'm excited to read it. Um, I mean, Susie's a really good writer. Um, I've read her, read what she's written about other stuff and, and um, we've got uh, Katie who's helping edit and she's a great editor as well. So, because um, she's edited some of mine, some of the stuff I've written for the scenarios and the characters and things and I, she's just made them better. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she's edited some of my work as well it's slowly becoming a we're not we're not careful we might become a professional operation yeah. <laughs> what, what, what i what, what i'm really impressed with when i when when katie sent me and i don't, I don't know if Sudi's doing it with her but it's katie i've been communicating with when she does the editing for me and and she yeah she'll pick up like little gram, grammar errors and things like that of course and typos and things like that but she has obviously read everything and is really good at making sure there's a consistent story so she'll say, oh, well, yeah. in your story, you're saying this, but in this person's story, he's written a different one. This has happened. So therefore, we can't have these together because that's two different timelines. And then we need to... So she's really good at making sure everything meshes together properly to actually make... There's no there's no holes in it. Um, you know, yeah, or scene, from what she's edited in mind, she's made sure there's no holes anywhere. So that's... Which is really good. They, between the pair of them, you know, especially Katie on the editing front, but they've been incredibly thorough, incredibly thorough to make sure there's no plot holes, there's no unexplained, there's no dead ends, you know, everything that was a mystery left unexplained reaches its conclusion. It's a really professional approach to narrative writing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I know Susie's excited to see this out in the real world because it's been a huge huge amount of time and effort and love poured into it and i am as well i can't wait for people to yeah. get their hands on it and start reading it yeah no i'm excited about this i think this is um i think also like like you said before this kickstarter has been so much longer in the in the in the implementation just because of covid isn't it like you know, that that's put that's put and, and and you know there's there's wanting to get it right and things but um you know this i remember you, you've been talking about this for for a couple of years probably but um and you know and that's nothing to do with to do with you know that's the, the world has has decided against anyone doing it <laughs> this book has had a huge amount more time spent on it than the first book and like you said you, you summed up a couple of reasons another reason is the first book wasn't written until after we'd run the kickstarter by which point I had 500 people that I owed a book to. Um, so everything was a bit of a balance between testing more and writing more and editing more and, and, and perfecting more versus getting it out the door so the people that have paid for it. Um, so I wanted this time around for this Kickstarter to have the book finished, basically. The book is finished. It's... Um, there's an editing pass that needs to be done on it. Um, there's a handful of characters that don't have their bios yet, you know, maybe five or six. And Susie is still working on the final chapter. She's finished it, but she wants it to be edited to perfection before I read it, because she wants me to have the experience of reading the big finale that, yeah. you know, that, that everyone else gets. Um, but the book is is done. All the art is in. All the not. There's a few photography still bits to be done. But the models are painted. So it's just for me to photograph them. But all of the um, there's a lot more art in this one because of had extra time and budget. 
um, a lot more photography because um, there's a lot more models to photograph this time around. So, it, you know, I'm really proud of the first book that we did, but this has now had, whereas that one was kind of done on a time pressure and with a budget pressure, because we didn't have, you know, a, a massive amount of money, studio paint jobs and things like that the first time around. This one has had, you know, nearly three times as much time spent on it. Um, so I think, I think it's, I think it's a really, really good book, basically. I think people are going to really, really like it. Yeah. And that's important to me because I'm doing this for fun, mostly. You know, I'd love to, I'd love, I was talking before, I'd love to make enough money to be able to do this, you know, full time and and um, uh, and, and drive a Lamborghini. That'd be ace. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm mostly doing this because I absolutely love it. You know, I have so much passion for creating these games and seeing people play them and seeing people enjoy them. And I want to put out a book that people really enjoy and people love. It's one of the advantages of being a small independent um, kind of self-owned company. I don't have shareholders breathing down my neck saying you have to release this in, you know, a given month because um, we're going on to the next project and we need to get a return on our investment. I've been able to release this when I'm happy with it, basically. And that has meant a lot more playtesting. Yeah. The, camp, the first version of the campaign rules, I didn't think were good enough to publish. The second version, I didn't think was good enough to publish. The third version, I didn't think was good enough to publish. Version seven or eight, I'm, I'm finally thinking, you know what, this is, this is quite good fun. This yeah. is a good system. <laughs> I can put my name to this and put it in print. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's... Um... I think I, th I, you know, I, th I think people will be really impressed by, by the quality of it and and um, and everything. So, um, yeah. So there's so we covered. I think what we covered about the book. There's uh, the campaign. We covered the scenarios. We covered the narrative. Uh, it's obviously got, as we kind of mentioned briefly. There's obviously a bio of all the new. I'm guessing it's just the new model, isn't it? It's the ones that aren't in the, in book one. Yeah, everything that wasn't in book one. So all of the Lashabolt characters. Uh, that mo a lot of the Leshwold characters' uh, models are already available, although there are some that are still coming out. So there's a handful of characters in this book that haven't been released yet, but um, it's mostly capturing, you know, catching up on uh, on some characters that are now well known to people, but filling in their backstories. And I've written hobbies for everyone again, yeah, uh, <laughs> which is good fun. Yeah, I know. It's one of my favourite. Yeah. I still flip through book one and read, and read just the hobbies. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you like the hobbies, there is an addition in this book along those lines, which I'm not going to say because I want it to be a nice surprise for people. But if you like the kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of uh, funny kind of uh, approach that, that you sometimes find in Moonstone, there's a particularly nice surprise in this kind of book. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say for now. Yeah, that's fine. Lovely stuff. Um, cool. I think that's probably the book kind of covered, isn't it, really? Um, and the Kickstarter. And we, we talked a bit about TTS. We talked a bit about, uh, we've gone off on a couple of other tangents, obviously, as we all, as I always do, um, which is fine. Um, I think what I'm going to suggest is, I think we suggest we, we, we leave it there uh, for this one. 
because we were going to we were going to talk about like the, the the next step for Moonstone. I think I, I think I might like to do that in a separate podcast, maybe off after the Kickstarter. I think um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be fine. Um, I think we, yeah, and I think that's that's really the next thing for us to talk about. Like the next thing for you for you to tell people really after the Kickstarter is what Moonstone's going to happen. What's happening with Moonstone next? And I think that'd be a nice one to do to do um, separately. I mean, I know a bit about what's going to come, obviously, but. Um, so, suffice to say, I have a lot of plans. You know, Moonstone is a lot of ideas. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think I think we'll we'll leave that one there. Um, I think that covers everything we kind of want to talk about, and um, hopefully, it gives people a really good idea of what's what's coming soon, without spoiling it. <laughs> I don't think we spoiled it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Amazingly, I mean, I'm, I'm well known for my indiscretions, but there, I've, I have kept a few things under my hat for once. Yeah. So there will be some nice surprises. Yeah. However much I'm spoiled, there's still plenty of uh, unspoiled material. Yeah, well, trust me, I, I think we've done a good job in so far of just hyping it up a lot without revealing too much. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's good. That's good. All right. Um, Okay, well, I'm going to end the recording in a second. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Um, I'm not going to... Usually I end the podcast by saying what's going to come next, but I don't know what's going to come next for this one because we're, we're recording this in the April, um, but it's not going to. I'm not going to publish this for, for a month or so. Um, and I may do another podcast in between or two or and one soon after, things like that. So I'm not going to try and say what might come soon on the podcast. Um, but this will be this will be being released about the time... Hopefully, fingers crossed. At least in Britain, we can actually go to people's houses again. So, what I'm hopefully I'm saying in this correct is happy moonstoning, everyone. Hopefully, you can all play again. Um, God knows, I can't wait. To, I, I went. I, I meet my friend Jack, who a few people know from the channel, and who's been on been on here. He's on on the last podcast. We went for a walk, and we said we have got to play Moonstone day one. That we can go to people's houses. You're coming to my house. We're playing Moonstone because <laughs> um, it's it's we missed it a lot. So. <laughs> Um, that's going to be the first. The first thing I'm going to do is May the seventeenth. I think is the date. I'm playing game Moonstone. I'm recording it, and I'm going to edit it and put it up as soon as I can, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you guys can see it. Um, because the last time we played Moonstone, we were still using paper dolls for things like hogwash and um, when, what they've now got models for, like the go, like the Goblin airship. Yeah. We, we were using paper dolls before. There's- there's been a few releases during lockdown that people probably haven't, you know, they've painted them because people have had lots of time yeah. to paint and there's been some amazing paint jobs popping up on yeah. online. We must be itching to get them on the table. Yeah, sadly, sadly, I've got quite behind with my Moonstone painting. I think it's because I'm not playing it. Um, but actually, well, I know that as soon as I can start playing it again, they'll, they'll be the first things coming out to get painted. So, um, and actually, even doing this podcast now, I'm making me want to go and paint some. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, I'll go into that in a minute, I think. But yeah, um, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Um, Take care, and uh, we'll see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye.